welcome to Celebrate Poe. This is episode 88. This sounds like Poe's school. Today's episode looks at a passage from Poe's story, William Wilson, that may or may not be about the boarding school that Edgar Poe attended about five miles outside of London at Stoke Newington. First, I need to make a comment concerning the way uh, that this episode is dealing with Poe's story, William Wilson. The story itself would take almost two hours to read aloud, and I really don't think it's one of Poe's best works. I know there are people out there that might disagree with me, but I listened to the ghost of Mr. Poe reading The Man of the Crowd in the previous episode, and I realized the sound was really bad. I needed to do some serious audio work with the sound of the ghost of Mr. Poe, and I definitely will within the next few weeks before Mr. Poe makes another appearance. Now, the story, William Wilson, was published about ten years before Poe's death, so I know Celebrate Poe will eventually deal with William Wilson on down the road. And interestingly enough, like The Pit and the Pendulum, William Wilson was published first in a publication called The Gift, a Christmas and New Year's present, though it doesn't really strike me as a Christmas story. Anyway, in this episode, I want to concentrate on the earlier sections of the story, especially those that may have been written about Stoke Newington. While uh, Poe often writes sections that are open to a great deal of interpretation, I think the story uh, begins with the narrator of William Wilson speaking from his deathbed. The story of William Wilson begins with, Let me call myself for the present William Wilson. The fair page now lying before me need not be sullied with my real name. This has been already too much an object for the scorn, for the horror of my race. To the uttermost regions of the globe have not the indignant winds brooded its unparalleled infamy? O oh, outcasts of all outcasts most abandoned, to the earth art not thou forever dead? To its honors, to its flowers, to its golden aspirations, and a cloud, dense, dismal, and limitless, does it not hang eternally between thy hopes and heaven? I would not, if I could, here or today, embody a record of my latter years of unspeakable misery and unpardonable crime. This epic, these latter years, took unto themselves a sudden elevation, whose origin alone it is my present purpose to assign. Men usually grow base by degrees. For me, in an instant, all virtue dropped bodily as a mantle. What chance, what one event brought this evil thing to pass? Oh, bear with me while I relate. Death approaches, and I long in passing through the dim valley for the sympathy, I nearly said for the pity, of my fellow men. 
I would fain have them believe that I have been, in some measure, the slave of circumstances beyond human control. I would wish them to seek out for me the details I'm about to give, some little oasis of fatality among a wilderness of error. I would have them allow what they cannot refrain from allowing. And is it therefore that he has never thus suffered? Have I not included been living in a dream? And am I not now dying a victim to the horror and the mystery of the wildest of all visions? I am the descendant of a race whose imaginative and easily excitable temperament has at all times rendered them remarkable. And in my earliest infancy, I gave evidence of having fully inherited the family character. As I advanced in years, it was more strongly developed becoming, for many reasons, a cause of serious disquietude to my friends and of positive injury to myself. I grew self-willed, addicted to the wildest caprices and a prey to the most ungovernable passions. Weak-minded and beset with constitutional infirmities akin to my own, my parents could do but little to check the evil propensities which distinguished me. Some feeble and ill-directed efforts resulted in complete failure on their part, and, of course, in total triumph on mine. Thenceforward my voice was a household law, and at an age when few children have abandoned their leading strings, I was left to the guidance of my own will, and became, in all but name, the master of my own actions." Now, a little aside here, it seems that the narrator is definitely in a bad way, but he shifts to his memories of his days at a boarding school. My earliest recollections of a school life are connected with a large, rambling Elizabethan house in a misty-looking village of England, where were a vast number of gigantic and gnarled trees, and where all the houses were excessively ancient. In truth, it was a dreamlike and spirit-soothing place, that venerable old town. At this moment in fancy, I feel the refreshing chilliness of its deeply shadowed avenues, inhale the fragrance of its thousand shrubberies and thrill anew with undefinable delight at the deep, hollow note of the church bell, breaking each hour with sullen and sudden roar upon the stillness of the dusty atmosphere in which the fretted Gothic steeple lay embedded and asleep. Again a little aside here. Technically speaking, the steeple of the church connected with Stoke Newington was not built until 1829, years after Poe left the school. Now back to the story. It gives me, perhaps, as much of pleasure as I can now in any manner experience to dwell upon minute recollections of the school and its concerns. Steeped in misery as I am, misery, alas, only too real, 
I shall be pardoned for seeking relief, however slight and temporary, in the weakness of a few rambling details. These, moreover, utterly trivial and even ridiculous in themselves, assume to my fancy adventitious, adventitious importance as connected with a period and a locality when and where I recognized the first ambiguous monitions of the destiny which afterwards so fully overshadowed me. Let me then remember. The house, I have said, was old and irregular. The grounds were extensive and uh, a high and uh, solid brick wall topped with a bed of mortar and broken glass encompassed the whole. This prison-like rampart formed the limit of our domain. Beyond it we saw but thrice a week, once every Saturday afternoon, when, attended by two ushers, we were permitted to take brief walks in a body through some of the neighboring fields, and twice during Sunday, when we were paraded in the same formal manner in the morning and evening service in the one church of the village. Of this church, the principal of our school was pastor. With how deep a spirit of wonder and perplexity was I wont to regard him from our remote pew in the gallery as with steep, solemn, and slow he ascended the pulpit. This reverent man, with countenance so demurely benign, with robe so glossy and so clerically flowing, with wig so minutely powdered, so rigid and so vast, could this be he who of late, with sour visage and in snuffy habiliments, administered the draconian laws of the academy? Oh, gigantic paradox, too utterly monstrous for solution. Again, a little aside here. Basically, basically, it seems that Poe is saying, I can't believe this religious man is so cruel. Now back to the story. At an angle of the ponderous wall frowned a more ponderous gate. It was riveted and studied, studded with iron bolts and surmounted with jagged iron spikes. What impressions of deep awe did it inspire? It was never opened, save for the three periodical egressions and ingressions already mentioned, Then, in every creak of its mighty hinges we found a plentitude of mystery, a world of matter for solemn remark or for more solemn meditation. The extensive enclosure was irregular in form, having many capricious recesses. Of these, three or four of the largest constituted the playground. It was level and covered with fine, hard gravel. I remember well it had no trees, nor benches, nor anything similar within it. But the house, how quaint an old building was this! To me, how veritably a palace of enchantment. There was really no end to its windings, to its incomprehensible subdivisions. It was difficult at any given time to say with certainty upon which of its two stories one happened to be. 
From each room to every other, there were sure to be found three or four steps either in ascent or descent. Then the lateral branches were innumerable, inconceivable, and so returning in upon themselves that our most exact ideas in regard to the whole mansion were not very far different from those which we pondered upon infinity. During the five years of my residence here, I was never able to ascertain with precision in what remote locality lay the little sleeping apartment assigned to myself and some eighteen or twenty other scholars. The schoolroom was the largest in the house. I could not help thinking in the world it was a very long, narrow, and dismally low with pointed Gothic windows and a ceiling of oak. In a remote and terra-inspiring angle was a square enclosure of eight or ten feet, compromising the sanctum during hours of our principal, the Reverend Dr. Bransby. Now note here, when Poe attended Stoke Newington, the principal was named Bransby, although Bransby did not have the title of doctor. Again, back to the story. It was a solid structure with massy door. In other angles were two other similar boxes, far less reverenced indeed, but still greatly matters of all. One of these was the pulpit of the classical usher, one of the English and mathematical. Interspersed around the room, crossing and recrossing in endless irregularity, were innumerable benches and desks, black, ancient, and time-worn, piled desperately with much bethumbed books, and so beseamed with initial letters, names at full length, grotesque figures, and all other multiplied efforts of the knife as to have entirely lost what little of original form might have been their portion in days long departed. A huge bucket with water stood at one extremity of the room, and a clock of stupendous dimensions at the other. Now, Poe is pretty much on target with his descriptions here. Encompassed by the massy walls of this venerable academy, I passed, yet not in tedium or disgust, the years of the third lustrum of my life. The teeming brain of childhood requires no external world of incident to occupy or amuse it, and the apparently dismal monotony of a school was replete with more intense excitement than my riper youth has derived from luxury or my full manhood from crime. Yet I must believe that my first mental development had in it much of the uncommon. Upon mankind at large, the events of very early existence rarely leave in mature age any definite impression. All is gray shadow, a weak and irregular remembrance, an indistinct regathering of feeble pleasures and phantasmagoric pains. With me, this is not so. In childhood, I must have felt with the energy of a man what I now find stamped upon memory in lines as vivid, as deep, and as durable. 
Yet, in fact, in the fact of the world's view, how little there was to remember. The morning's awakening, the nightly summons to bed, the connings, the recitations, the periodical half-holidays and the perambulations, the playground with its broils, its pastimes, its intrigues, these, by a mental sorcery long forgotten, were made to involve a wilderness of sensation, a world of rich incident, a universe of varied emotion, of excitement, the most passionate and spirit-stirring. Now, Poe is doing a very good job describing the busy world of boarding schools in England. But remember that Poe never specifically refers to the school as Stoke Newington, but he seldom confined the majority of his stories to a specific physical location anyway. True, he does use the name Reverend Bransby, and the descriptions of the town ring true for the most part. While some scholars might disagree with me, I think it's fair to say that there is no definite proof that William Wilson was written about Stoke Newington at the beginning. But Poe's memories of the boarding school definitely influenced the initial part of the story. Well, congrats for making it this far as we take a deep dive into the life, works, and influences of America's Shakespeare. As usual, uh, this uh, podcast began and ends with the melody of Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. Now, let me end this by saying that uh, uh, with the weather, well, at least in here in Indianapolis, uh, being a lot colder, I have far more time to spend inside and am working a lot more on Celebrate Poe. For example, this month there'll be 13 more episodes, many of them tied in with the holiday season. Episode 89 will deal with An Unpardonable Crime, a book known in England as The American Boy by Andrew Taylor, on, uh, who is an excellent writer of historical fiction. The title of the book, Unpardonable Crime, is taken from William Wilson. I would not, if I could, hear her today embody a record of my latter years of unspeakable misery and unpardonable crime. Now, two days later, on December the 21st, 2021, episode 90 of this podcast will deal with one of Poe's literary competitors, Washington Irving. This episode will have a brief introduction to Washington Irving, his importance, and the first part of his classic work, Old Christmas. Written 30 years before Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, Irving's Old Christmas deals with similar subject matter for the most part and is a classic of Christmas literature. The next day, episode 91 will deal with the next part of Old Christmas, The Stagecoach. And on the day of Christmas Eve, the episode will deal with, you guessed it, Christmas Eve. 
Uh, the podcast will release Irving's Christmas Day on Christmas Day. And since I like to keep episodes about 30 minutes or less, I'll release the final section of Old Christmas, called The Christmas Dinner, a few minutes later by itself. Then on the day after Christmas, the podcast episode is The Festival by H.P. Lovecraft. It would hardly be accurate to call the festival a Christmas story in the traditional sense. It is far too dark. But as you probably know, Lovecraft was greatly influenced by Poe. And besides, the festival's a really cool story. And starting on Monday, the 27th of December, I'm uh, going to begin a five-part recap series that looks back at the episodes so far. You see, when I started this podcast, I did a list of, um, well, I did a list of, in chronological order of what to cover in Poe's life. With the massive information available out there about Poe, if you don't have a written and thought-out plan, then you basically wander around aimlessly and end up nowhere. And you really don't have too much to say. Well, the outline, just the outline, was about 50 pages. And I quickly found that as I did research, I would run into subjects that were interesting that were and fascinating, uh, but weren't in the outline, and I couldn't leave them out. For example, one thing that I had no idea about, uh, in one chronological listing, I saw the eruption of Mount Tambora as an event that took place during Poe's life. Well, I had never heard of Mount Tambora in my life and was amazed at the massive effect that uh, that eruption had on the world. The explosion took place in Indonesia and actually affected life in England and Virginia. And you can't talk about Mount Tambora without talking about how the volcano's effects led to a competition between a group of Romantic writers. This contest led to Frankenstein and the first modern-day vampire story. And that led uh, to the events and dynamics surrounding the series of Frankenstein movies, as well as Dracula, so I had to cover those. <laughs> and I certainly enjoyed it. Meanwhile, to quote the great comedian Stephen, Col Stephen Colbert, meanwhile, I'll start on Monday the 27th with a recap series covering roughly 20 episodes of Celebrate Poe per episode. I'll talk about the format of this podcast, a bit about its background, some of the elements of Poe's life, and the introduction, and why I, fe why I feel qualified to do this podcast. There'll be episodes every day during the week, that week after Christmas on Tuesday through Friday, each dealing, again, with roughly 20 episodes every day. At that rate, it should take five episodes in the series until Celebrate Poe reaches 100 episodes, which should happen on December the 31st. Hope this all becomes a lot clearer as time goes by. And one last thing. Instead of aiming for 12 o'clock midnight as a release time for episodes, I'm releasing the rest of the episodes this month starting at 8 o'clock a.m. in the morning. Not that I'll be up at 8 o'clock. That's just asking too much. But uh, I, am, I am going to do these episodes in advance. And I've been working on them, so I know that's a realistic goal. 
Then I can upload a podcast episode and set a time for that episode to be released. For example, the episode on Christmas Eve should be available on the morning of Christmas Eve. Sources for this podcast include Edgar Allan Poe, a critical biography by Arthur Hobson Quinn, The Poe Log, a documentary life of Edgar Allan Poe by Dwight Thomas and David K. Jackson, The Reason for the Darkness of the Night by John Tresh, Poe and Place by Philip Edward Phillips, and The Complete Works of Edgar Allan Poe by Edgar Allan Poe, edited by Thomas Alive Mabbott. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe.